You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. You know, I was just thinking it's, it's rare that you find a worship team that has such a great combination of talent and also just a, a reverential drawing you into worship. And so these guys are fantastic. So you guys are very blessed. Good to see you guys here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for the kind intro, Chris, my good brother and, and a great friend. I just am so grateful to uh, have an opportunity to uh, work and, and be friends with this guy and, and his family over the last several years. They're a huge blessing to us. Um, I, the first service, I actually apologized before I got started. I, I feel like I've I mean, before I even started, I feel like I've let you guys down. I forgot to grow a beard before I got up here to speak, and I know that's kind of standard from everyone who's up here, so I apologize for that. Um, but uh, listen, it's, it's been a lot of fun watching this church grow. Uh, when Chris and Lisa actually first started in the church and they moved down here, uh, they stayed in our home for five or, uh, four or five weeks while they were getting ready to uh, make the transition from Ottawa and... Uh, it's been so neat to see what God is doing through you. And a few weeks ago, my wife and I and, and our daughter were here during your baptism service and was just blown away by uh, 20 people uh, getting baptized. That is so cool. So thank you guys for what you're doing. Also, um, I'm not sure if you know, but your church supports my family and I uh, as missionaries. We serve with Power to Change, formerly Campus Crusade, and I have the opportunity to work with leaders and, and uh, young students and, and to have an, hopefully help these guys have an impact that, that goes beyond what they're doing. But you guys are a very big uh, and generous supporters of ours, and we really appreciate that. So I wanted to make sure to thank you for that as well. Um, this morning, I wanted to take some time to share with you some principles that I have learned. I've had the opportunity to be in ministry a little over 26 years, and there's some principles that I've learned over that time about how to have a maximum impact for the kingdom. And not everyone is excited about having a maximum impact, but I, I would argue that Jesus has, has left us here after we've come to him to have an impact. And I believe he's given us some, some strategies um, and, uh, and some ideas. You know, I often, when I ask Christians, whether they're students or marketplace leaders, and I ask them, what is it that you are trusting God for? What do you want to see God do through you? And many times the answer I get in response is not much. We have these very small visions of what we're asking God to do. But I believe in, in light of the needs of the world, in light of the, uh, the commands that we've been given by Jesus himself, in light of the, the great commission, in light of the... Uh, um, the, the tools, the resources, and, and the power that God has given us, and in light of eternity, we need to ask God to use us to have an impact that really blows our minds. And so I want to share with you some principles uh, that I believe if you apply these, you will see God use you in some pretty cool ways in the years to come. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for the men and women here. Thank you for how you are working uh, through Harvest Brampton to have a significant impact, not only in Brampton, but far beyond. And as I share your heart, <clears throat> your vision, God, I just pray that you would really guide uh, this time and that I would communicate your passion and that we would see men and women who would take steps of faith for you to have an impact uh, beyond what they could dream. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Christian cliches. And, uh, and so there's a few out there, and, and one of them that's kind of bothered me a little bit over the years was the idea that if it just touches one, it's worth it. 
Now, on the one hand, I agree with that. There's a parable that Jesus tells about the 99 sheep and the shepherd goes off to, to touch the one. And that demonstrates the infinite value of the, uh, um, of the value of the human soul. And so, um, but I believe when we start looking at the needs of the world, they are massive. They're overwhelming. And so I think that to settle for just touching one often is missing the point. And, um, you know, as, as God has called us as ambassadors to a lost and dying world, I believe he's actually called us to change the world. And let me just share you some statistics that maybe give you some, illustrate this a little bit. Every year in North America, there are over 3 million recorded instances of child abuse. That's, that's horrible. Every year around the world, there are 10 million children under the age of five who die from preventable diseases. There are about 36 million people on the planet right now who are considered, who are living in slavery, sex slavery or otherwise. There's approximately 153 million orphans on the planet today. There's 1.6 billion Muslims in the world today, and conservatively it's estimated that 5% of these Muslims support radical Islamic ideologies. That works out to about 80 million people around the world. There's 800 million people who currently do not have clean drinking water and go to bed hungry. There's, uh, and, and I think what is probably the most tragic statistic of all is there's, there's still on this planet today 2.9 billion people who are considered unevangelized, unreached to the gospel, and are totally cut off because of political, geographic, or other reasons are isolated from hearing the gospel. In fact, of those 2.9 billion, every single day, 66,000 people die who have never had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I hear people say, well, you know, if it just touches one, I kind of cringe a little bit. Like, I don't think that's what Jesus called us to. In light of these overwhelming needs, we can't be satisfied with just touching one. You know, when I moved out here to Ontario in 1998, our campus ministry at the time, we were in about six, seven campuses. We had 250 or so students involved. We had four staff that were uh, on the field at the time. Of those four staff, two of them were on burnout leave uh, a couple of days a week, and we had a couple of new staff. And I printed up T-shirts. It was one of the first things I did to give to all the students. It said, we are here to change the world. I believe that is why Jesus has left us, is to, use, to be used to change the world. And I want to share with you, and, and since that time, God has allowed our ministry from Ontario to send out literally thousands of students all over the world to have an impact in different ways. And uh, people like Chris and Ted and Hemal are, are part of that legacy. And so I want to share with you some principles that I've learned that can allow you to have an impact in the world that hopefully will be encouraging and helpful. So here's the very first one, and I think this is possibly the most important is that we need to let God do the work. These, these numbers I just gave you are overwhelming, and they can be just, just intimidating, but they don't bother Jesus at all. He, he can handle it. He's not overwhelmed by that. And so we need to entrust these things to him. We cannot do it alone. You know, that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 and 17 says, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he is in you. And you see, the great truth is that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We have the power of God in us. In Acts 1.8, he repeats it. He says, you shall be my witnesses. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then they went off and did that. It says in Acts 17 that these, these small group of men ended up, it says they literally upset the world. 
Jesus promised again in, in John 15, 14, 4 and 5, he has a couple of promises here. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. Now, there's two principles I want you to draw out of here, two promises. The first promise is if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. You see, when, whenever a farmer plants an apple tree or an orange tree or, or some kind of a you know, fruit tree or whatever, he doesn't say, gosh, I sure hope this apple tree produces one apple in the next 25 years. No, you see, the trees are planted with the expectation that they're going to bear fruit, bear much fruit. And that's what Jesus said. But as we need, we need to abide in him so that we can bear much fruit. But the second thing, second promise there is apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. There's a great promise. And I've learned that to be true over my 26 years in ministry. The less I depend on Jesus, the more worthless I am. But when I depend on Jesus, he's able to use me and his Holy Spirit to have an impact that really is, is surprising. And so we need to allow God's Holy Spirit to do the work in and through us. If we want to have a maximum impact, the second principle is that we need to pray God-sized prayers. You know, when I, when I hear most people pray, most of us pray for kind of small, mundane things. Help me with my job and help me do wellness exam or having problems at home with this or whatever. And again, we can ask God for everything. Don't ever hold back from asking him for anything. But I believe that if we want to have a maximum impact, we need to pray prayers that really reflect the fact that we are serving an all-powerful, awesome God. Look what it says in, in, uh, in, in the Bible in several passages here. Genesis 18, 14 says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Job 42, 2, I know that you can do all things. Jeremiah 32, 17, nothing is too difficult for you. Jeremiah 32, 27, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Matthew 19, 26, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Mark 14, 36, Jesus praying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Luke 1, 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Ephesians 3, 20, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. This is the God we're praying to. And if that's the God we're praying to, we need to pray prayers that reflect that truth and that reality. We need to pray God-sized prayers. I went to university down in Baylor, down in Texas, and uh, while I was there, um, as a Christian, there's some Christian kind of roots in the school, um, but you know, we prayed, we said, we're going to have a God-sized vision. We're going to ask God that he would use our campus to be one of the greatest sending grounds of Christian workers in the world. And we prayed that God from our campus would raise up laborers for the harvest, because you know, there's actually only one time that I can find in Scripture that we are commanded to beg God for something. And that is in Matthew 9, 37 and 38. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to raise up labors for the harvest. Many of your translations will say ask. That's a bad translation. The Greek word there is deomai, which means to beg, to plead, to grab God by the robes and say, please, God, raise up labors for the harvest. When we look at these massive amounts of needs that are going on in the world, we've got to beg God to raise up people to go and solve those needs. And he's in the business of doing that. So that's what we were praying. God, could you use Baylor to raise up people for all over the world? Well, my first year at Baylor, we had probably about 30 students who went on short-term missions trips. By my last year, we saw close to 100 
or more that were going. Um, we actually, at one point, I found out that there was a, uh, um, a, group, a, a program called Stint, which is what uh, our ministry used to be called, Campus Crusade did. It was a one-year trip overseas. And Baylor, at one point, was sending more students on Stint than any other campus in the world. That was cool. God was answering our prayers. And then I was in Thailand several years ago. I'd moved to Canada. One of our student projects was over in, in Thailand, having a ministry there. While I was there, I bumped into some, some white students. You're kind of wondering, what are you guys doing here? We start talking. Ends up some of them are from Texas, and some of them actually went to Baylor. In fact, one of the guys that I bumped into there was my friend, Brett Franzen. Now, Brett and I were students together first year, and we used to pray in the student union that God would use our campus to raise up labors for the harvest. So here I was from Texas, I'd moved into Canada, having a ministry, taking students over to Thailand to share the gospel there. He was actually planting churches in Mongolia and happened to be in uh, Thailand for a week because he had a dentist appointment, and God put us together. How cool is that? You see, God was answering our prayers. So what are you asking God for? What are you trusting God for? Are you asking God-sized prayers both personally and uh, and corporately. Here's some God-sized prayers. Let's ask God to eliminate slavery in the world. Wouldn't that be a good idea? We thought it was taken care of a couple hundred years ago. It's reared its ugly head again. Let's ask God to, to do that. Let's ask God to uh, lower the divorce rate of Canada, or better yet, to increase the marriage rate, that less people would, start, would be living together and doing those types of things. Let's ask God to stop the cycle of child abuse in North America. Let's pray that in the next 10 years, God doubles the number of genuine believers in our nation. Let's pray that that God would allow us to see the fulfillment of the Great Commission in our generation. There's one generation that's going to get to be part of that, that gets to see the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Let's say, God, we want that to be our generation. Let's pray God-sized prayers. Do you know, these these prayers seem really huge, and sometimes it's like, there's no way we can see these things happen. In 1980, there was a million Christians in the nation of China. Today, there's 80 to 100 million Christians in China, it's estimated, and it's growing like crazy. In fact, one of the visions of the Chinese church, the underground Chinese church, is what's called the Back to Jerusalem vision. And their vision is that God would send out laborers from their churches to go along the Silk Road back towards Jerusalem, where there's some of the least evangelized peoples on the planet, so they could share Christ and help bring the gospel to those who have never heard before. How cool is that? They want to help finish off those 2.9 billion. I was just read a study recently about where Christianity is growing fastest in the world right now. Three of the top 10 countries they listed, Nepal, Mongolia, and Cambodia. How cool is that? In fact, Saudi Arabia was listed in there too. It's small, but it's growing. There's God doing some really cool stuff. In the last several years, they're seeing close to a million Muslims every year that are coming to Jesus Christ. Guys, these are things 30, 40 years ago, we couldn't have imagined it. So if we could see those happen before, why can't we see it happen in the future? Let's start asking God for God-sized prayers. Let's ask him to bring revival to Brampton. And so that from this incredibly ethnically diverse population, which I love, by the way, the ethnic diversity of this church, it's, it's wonderful to see. Can we see this from here that God would launch a movement that could touch the corners of the world? Could we see spiritual awakening happen in, in one of the last great frontiers, which is India? I mean, Brampton has a high Indian population. Let's pray that maybe God could use this church to launch a movement of people to go impact India with the gospel. Let's ask for revival in Canada and revival in these places where we haven't heard. 
You know, when Ted Duncan was a student at Queens, they used to pray, God, we want to see our campus be one of the greatest sending grounds of Christian workers. And today there's Queens students that are all over the world, including Ted. And he has ministered and blessed you guys. And I can introduce you to a whole bunch of others who are doing the exact same thing. We need to pray God-sized prayers. The third thing, if we want to have a maximum impact, we need to aim for global impact. You know, the the Great Commission, which I love, is up on your wall, and hopefully you don't just get bored of that, but you just keep focused on that. The Great Commission was given to everybody. Listen when it says that, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, including this command to make disciples of all nations. You see, that command was not just given to a select few people. That command, that great commission was given to every believer and every church. And so we need to have a global vision. That is just biblical. That's what we need to do. I, used to, I share this principle here. It's kind of the A to Z principle. See if that helps you kind of visualize this a little bit. If you're at point A and you shoot for L, you'll probably end up at E. But if you shoot for L, you're never going to hit Q and you're never going to hit Z. But if you decide you're going to shoot for Z, you have to go through E, L, and Q to get there. They're subsets of getting to, to Z. Let me give you this a little more practically. First, E would be Brampton. L would be Ontario. Q would be Canada. And Z would be the world. And when I ask a lot of people, what is the vision of your church? What's the vision of your small group? What's the vision of your ministry that you want to see God do through you? Most people ends up somewhere around A.2. You know, maybe B. But you see, I think God has called us to have a global vision. And by the way, this isn't my idea. We've mentioned Acts 1-8 a couple of times. Look at this. You should be my witnesses in Jerusalem. This is their local city, their community, people they know, their family and friends that are close to them. Then Judea. This is people that are similar culture, but a little bit further away, geographically a little bit broader of an area. And then Samaria. Now he's telling them to go cross-cultural to some of the people who hate them and who may do violence to them and to love them and to share the gospel with them. And then he says, to the uttermost ends of the earth. You see, Jesus' vision right from the get-go for the body of Christ was that we would impact the world, that we would change the world. And this was not the first time. The Great Commission was not just mentioned a couple of times there in Matthew and Acts. It was also talked about in Genesis 12 when God was blessing Abraham and saying, I'm going you know, to bless you. He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the vision is not just for you and not just for the Jewish people, but through the Jewish people, the entire world are going to get a chance to hear, get to know me and, and be, understand my love for them. And that's the same vision. It's not just for us to reach Brampton. It's through Brampton so that we could help reach the world with the gospel. I love Isaiah 49, 6, where he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And you can do a a study on this sometime. Let the Nations Be Glad is an awesome book by John Piper that talks about God's global purposes right from the beginning all the way to the end. Biblically, we are called to have a global impact. Now, does that mean that we all need to go overseas and have a ministry overseas? Maybe. Maybe. It's the command, and so he's called us to do it. I don't know if God's calling you to do it, but I certainly know that we need to pray about it. I always find it fascinating. Hey, what are you doing for holidays this year? Oh, I'm going to Europe. We're going on a cruise. We're going to Latin America. Hey, that's awesome. Did you pray about that? Oh, wait. Hey, you want to go on a mission trip with us? I need to pray about that. Right? Isn't that interesting? It's like, well, you know, if we just kind of take steps of faith honoring God and what he's already commanded us to do, 
then we can see God use us in that way. So I, I really believe that this global vision is, is not just an option for a few people. I believe it's given to the entire body of Christ. And, um, and you know, we can, you can help an impact on this world too by simply praying for the world. Be praying for ISIS and, and Al-Qaeda and India and China and all these different countries. Ask God to do that. Let's pray for these 7.3 billion people on the planet. How many nations do you want to see Harvest Brampton reach in the next 20 years? And start asking God, God, we'd like to pick off some of those. There's about, uh, I think there's um, about 6,700 unreached people groups in the world. Well, how many of those would you like to see your church influence and reach and finish off that in the next 20 years? These are things we need to do is we need to have a focus on a global vision. The fourth thing is if we want to have a maximum impact, we need to prioritize evangelism. One of the things that's been interesting in the last several years I've noticed, probably the last 50 years or so, as we've gotten some Christians into political leadership, there's been an emphasis on the church to hope that political process and laws and different things like that are going to be able to change the morality of our nation. Here's the problem. I think it's good. I think we need to make sure we we get Christians in office and we need to protest and different things like that. Here's the challenge with that approach is that we live in a democracy, And in a democracy, the majority wins. In our country, the majority does not adhere to or embrace biblical values. In fact, much of society actually is dead opposed to biblical values. And so when we're voting for these people to, you know, to go into power, we're hoping we can do it. We're still fighting against the majority. Here's what's interesting. I think Jesus had a different strategy, if I may, for societal transformation. And he had what I would call a change the trees approach to changing the world. He changed the trees. And this is what it came from. Matthew 7, 17 and 18 says, likewise, every good tree bears a good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And I believe that many of our efforts to bring about societal change are trying to make bad trees produce good fruit. It's not working. It doesn't work. We're saying, hey, you bad trees, you need to start producing good fruit. And they're like, what are you talking about? We don't have any idea what you're talking about. We need to change the trees. You see, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 33. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. Paul said the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. You see, as we allow Jesus to change the trees around us, as we see people come become followers of Christ, what's going to happen is the fruit is naturally going to follow. Societal transformation follows heart transformation. And that's what we need to see Jesus do. Now, does this mean that we should not protest or Have godly leaders in office? Not at all. We need to make sure we do that. But sometimes in the process of trying to get the right candidates in office, this drives me crazy. Somehow those other people who have contrasting views have become our enemies. That's not the case. They're not our enemies. Jesus told us to love them. He told us to share the gospel for them. They are people who need to know Jesus Christ. All they're doing is just producing the fruit that they naturally should produce. And so we shouldn't get mad at them when they're naturally producing. It's like getting mad at an apple tree that it's not producing watermelons. That's just silly. It doesn't work that way. We need to ask God to transform that. I'm not sure how many of you know the name Norma McCorvey. Anyone recognize that name, Norma McCorvey? You see, you may know her better as Jane Roe. She was the Jane Roe in the Roe versus Wade abortion legalization Supreme Court decision back in the 1970s. And one of the interesting things happened. Norma Corvey was actually working in an abortion clinic several years after that decision and uh, helping to perform abortions and helping people get all this kind of stuff. And a little girl 
who was a follower of Jesus, befriended Norma and started loving on her and praying for her and sharing the love of Christ. And Norma McCorvey became a follower of Jesus. And today, Norma McCorvey is a pro-life advocate. You see, the tree changed. And as the tree changes, the fruit changes. And you see, we spend so much time trying to bring about this political, we need to help these guys come to know Jesus. We need to pray for them and bring about transformation. We need to prioritize evangelism. One of Jesus' disciples is a guy by the name of Simon the Zealot. I don't know if you guys know what zealots were, but in those days, we've kind of changed the definition. In those days, a zealot was part of a political party that wanted to overthrow the government. It was a radical political party that wanted to overthrow the government using violence and assassination. Simon was a terrorist. One of Jesus' 12 disciples was a terrorist. Isn't that interesting? What was Jesus' strategy to stop that movement? To drop bombs on them? I'm not saying we, I'm not making any kind of political statement, but he wanted to see the tree changed. As the tree was changed, as Simon became a follower of him, then transformation happened. Good fruit flew out, flowed out of that. And we see, if you want to have some fun, go look up YouTube, look up terrorists who are coming to know Jesus. And we're seeing this happen. We need to pray that God would bring about transformation that way. You know, another cliche that has bothered me over the years is this one. It says that we're to preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. I don't think that's terribly biblical. Now, again, we need to let our light shine in such a way that they can see it. But, you know, as I look at the Apostle Paul and, and, uh, and Jesus and how they said it, well, Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians nine sixteen. He says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 2, he's telling uh, Timothy, his, his disciple, he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Now, the word preach there is the word caruso. What caruso means is that you stand up on a roof and you proclaim to the masses something so that everybody can hear it. That's caruso. And that's what we're supposed to do, to preach the word. And then he says to be ready in season and out of season. As far as I can see, there's only two seasons, in and out. Preach the word, prioritize evangelism. So how do we do this? Well, the first thing we can do is simply by being intentional about praying for our friends who don't know Jesus. Just ask that they would come to know Jesus. Think of the most hostile people you can think of to the gospel. Think of the least likely people to the gospel who are going to be responsive to the gospel and start praying for them. Start praying for your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and your bosses, asking Jesus to bring about transformation in their hearts. And then ask God to give you the courage and to open the doors. And sometimes it's just a matter of taking a step. Can I just share with you a little bit about the hope that I have for this life and the next one? Can I just share them my story with you? Just, just try that question and see what happens. Take those steps of faith. The fifth principle is to focus on multiplication. I love this. This is one of my favorites. You know, when I was in university, I was overwhelmed by all the areas I wanted to have an impact on. I had a heart for the inner city. I thought about going into to working in the inner city ministry. I had a, particularly a heart for African Americans, you know, black people, because they're way cooler than I was. I wanted to reach the Muslim world. Um, I, you know, in the time, there's like one uh, missionary for every million Muslims, and I thought, man, we, I, maybe I should go over there and help there. I, the numbers have dropped now. It's like one for every quarter million. Um, we need to, I was like, what about Eastern Europe? It's like, I want to go reach that. I wanted to reach universities. I saw youth. We got to reach the youth. How are we going to do that? And then I wanted to see churches impact. And it's like, ah, what do I do? This is totally overwhelming. There's so many needs out there. And so I, I just, I felt like God was calling me to join our staff with our ministry. And, uh, and I joined staff with Campus Crusade at the time, University of Georgia. I worked there for four years. And it was cool. God revealed something to me after my, on my fifth year on staff. You see, God had allowed me through Duran, who was an African-American, to have a ministry in the inner, inner city. David is now pastoring in inner city. 
Jasper is a, is a pastor working among African Americans. It had an impact that way. Eric, who I led to Christ and discipled, ended up going on to reach Muslims around the world. And he ended up mobilizing hundreds of people to go reach the Muslim world. Jay and Roy, they went over to reach Eastern Europe with the gospel. Drew became a, a youth pastor and had a tremendous ministry with youth all across southern Georgia. Jay and Eric and another Eric ended up joining staff and working with university students. And I already mentioned the churches. And you see, I saw how God could allow me to have this impact, not through my gifts, but by mobilizing others, by multiplying myself. And you see, I think that Paul sums this up beautifully in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. And I don't know if you've seen, ever done the math on this, but when you talk about maximum impact, I believe this is the strategy that Jesus gave us. Now, this is incredibly slow. I take one disciple, I work that person for a year, and I disciple them, and then that next year, we each take a new disciple, and we work with them, and we try to do that. And if you look at it, it goes 2, 4, 8, 16, 32. It just feels slow. We want to do something really big. But this is the model that Jesus gave us to make disciples and you see, if you look at that, those numbers, at the end of 33 years, we've touched 8 billion people. Part of the reason Jesus told us to make disciples is it's the most practical and quickest way for us to change the world. And so we all need to make disciples. And oftentimes I hear people talking about, I, I need to replace myself. I'm leading a Sunday school class. I need to replace myself. I go, no, you don't need to replace yourself. You need to multiply yourself. There's, the needs are too great just to replace yourself. Always focus on multiplying. Are you a small group leader? Ask God to multiply yourself. Are you leading Sunday school? Ask God to raise up others who can do the same thing. You know, as a bonus principle, I would encourage you to consider focusing on reaching influencers. If you find influential people and you can build into them, they can multiply much more quickly. And that's what I'm trying to do now is work with influential leaders to help them have a ministry as well. Sixth principle is this, is to break faith barriers. Now, what am I talking about here? Well, I believe to walk with Jesus... To walk with Jesus, I think that there's some fundamental things that we need to do. And uh, I think we need to pray. We need to make sure we're spending time in the Word with Bible study. We need to be involved in fellowship and worship. I mean, those are foundational. We all need to be doing those on a regular basis. But every once in a while, you meet these Christians, you're like, man, these guys are like super Christians. They're doing some really cool stuff. And God seems to be using them in bigger ways than others. And I would probably draw a, a giant line underneath those four things. And I'd find the people that really have crossed that line are the ones that are making the big impact. And underneath that line is this. It's steps of faith. You see, I believe that if we really want to see God use us, we have to be big faith people. But a lot of us don't get that way naturally. And that's what the idea of breaking faith barriers. My third, uh, in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and what we're doing when we're trusting, when we're taking steps of faith is we're acknowledging, God, you need to do this. We're letting God do the work. My third or fourth year when I was in Ontario as I was overseeing our campus ministry, I felt like things were just kind of, they were going okay, but I felt like there was something missing and I couldn't figure it out. And then God brought to mind this principle of these faith barriers. And so every year at our retreats, we would tell our students, we want you to trust God for something that you look at and you go, man, this scares me. I can't do this. And so the only way I can get over this hurdle is I'm going to trust God to break this faith barrier. And then the students would all write out their faith barriers. We still do it. It's one of my favorite parts of the weekend and seeing students say, I'm going to pray out loud. I'm going to lead a small group Bible study. I'm going to share my faith with my roommate, my professor, my mom or dad. I'm going to go on a summer missions trip. I'm going to trust God to give my life to going into ministry. I'm actually going to sacrifice my engineering degree and I'm going to go serve Jesus full time. 
I'm going to go overseas for a year. And you see, it's so cool. As we saw these people take these steps of faith, God started growing our movement in some pretty cool ways. We can see this really practically in the life of Moses. I mean, think about Moses. His first interaction with God is he talks to a bush. Now, I would argue that talking to a bush is a bit of a faith step, right? I mean, it's like that bush is talking to me, and now I'm having a conversation with it. Okay, so that's the first step. And then he needs to obey the bush to take off his shoes. He's kind of looking around. All right, I'll take off my shoes. And then, you know, obviously the the burning bush is God. And then he's like, okay, God says, throw down your staff. Okay, that's a step of faith. He's obeying him, throws down a staff. Now the staff turned into a snake. That takes a little bit more faith to pick up a snake. He picks it up, turns into a staff again. Now I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. Okay, now that's a big step of faith. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. It's okay, I'll give you the words. I'll bring along, you know, Aaron, he can help you out. Now I want you to go tell Pharaoh that if he doesn't let my people go, things are going to get really pretty bad around there. And now I want you to go back to Pharaoh and say, not only is it going to get bad, but your son is going to die. Now I want you to take a million of these people. I'm going to march you into this area where it's, it's, you're kind of blocked in between this giant body of water, and then there's some kind of cliffs over here, some mountains. It's going to be tough to get away. And then I'm going to send Pharaoh's army storming down on you full speed, and I'm going to let you escape through this sea by parting the Red Sea. And you see, a lot of people say, I could never be like Moses. I mean, I could never part the Red Sea. But you see, Moses took these little steps along the way. And if you want to have a maximum impact, get in the habit of breaking faith barriers. Every year I have to ask myself, God, what is it something else that I want to trust you for that's a little bit scarier, a little bit out of my comfort zone? I want to trust you to do this. And as we start doing this, if your entire church did this, wow, can you imagine what God could do over the next 20 years through you guys? It'd be incredible. Incredible. So we need to uh, break faith barriers. And let me say that I think the big three, there's big three here that everybody, the the sweat kind of goes in their brow a little bit. Big three are this, evangelism, sharing the gospel with somebody missions, going overseas somewhere and sharing the gospel with someone, you know, in another country, and money, giving away money that you may or may not have. Those are the big three. And when I've seen people that have really taken leaps forward in their faith, it's because they've usually done one of those three things. And they come back and they're like, oh, I did a mission trip and it changed my life. We've all heard it, right? Wow, I gave away this money I wasn't sure where it was going to come from, and God blessed it. And look what happened in return. I shared my faith with my neighbor. I was scared, but God used it. And so that's where we can see it. So make a habit of breaking faith barriers if you want to have a maximum impact. I think the last point I want to emphasize if we want to have a maximum impact is to think eternally and live accordingly. Think eternally, live accordingly. I believe that an eternal perspective changes everything. I want you to picture with me a line that starts infinitely that direction and starts coming past us and past us and then it goes, blows past us and it goes out infinitely in that direction. And then right in the middle of the line, you see this little tiny dot. And that dot represents the, the existence of the human race. And within that dot, somewhere like a little molecule is you're in my life. This little speck almost of nothingness. And the question we need to ask is, are we living for the dot? Or are we living for the line? And you see, I believe that God has... has He's made us eternal beings. And so he wants us to live in light of eternity. You know, 150 years from now, every single person on this planet is going to be in heaven or hell. 150 years from now, every person on this planet. 150 years from now, you and I are going to be rewarded or not for the things that we've done now. 150 years from now, It's going to be the first morning of the first day of our eternity in paradise with Jesus. 
You see, an eternal perspective changes everything. Guys, we need to think more about our eternity because that's where we're going to be spending the vast majority of our existence is in eternity as well as all of our friends. And an eternal perspective changes everything. In light of eternity, my life's purpose should reflect the fact that I'm going to spend the vast majority of my time in heaven. In light of eternity, if I'm single then I'm going to only date and marry people who have values that reflect eternal values, that reflect kingdom values. I I don't want to date someone who's not focused on eternity. I want to focus on people who I want them to come to Christ first, and then we can do it together. In light of eternity, my career should be viewed as a vehicle to, to impact eternity. Yes, we want to make sure we do our job with integrity and we let our light shine and we honor God in our speech and actions, but we also need to be praying for our friends who don't know Christ, our bosses, our coworkers, our clients. How many clients do you want to see come to know Jesus in the next five years? You see, if you come to work with an eternal perspective, that changes everything. Do you want to see your boss come to know Jesus in the next few years? It seems like that's going to be impossible, but nothing's impossible with God we just read a few times before, so let's start doing that. In light of eternity, my money is no longer just a way to create comfort, security, and enjoyment for myself. My money is an opportunity to invest in eternity. So give money to the poor. Give money towards evangelism. Give money towards the Great Commission and and helping missionaries around the world. In light of eternity, I'm willing to take one week to go on a missions trip. As an adult, the average adult has somewhere in the neighborhood of 180 weeks of holidays. I'm asking you to take one week of that to impact eternity. In light of eternity, everything changes. The choices that we make in this lifetime are going to ripple across eternity. And so think eternally, live accordingly. You know, God has blessed this church and used this church in significant ways in its very short life. It's remarkable what God has done, and I think it's just the beginning And my prayer is that God would use you guys to have an impact that just is exceeding abundantly beyond all that you could ask or imagine. So, Father, I ask that you would do that. Lord, use the men and women here. Father, help us to be eternally minded. Help us to be big God people. Help us to to, uh, live our lives with with an eye on helping people come to know Jesus. Lord, help us be totally yielded and dependent upon you. Lord, that's the only way we can do anything. And so, Father, I thank you for the men and women here, and I pray that in the next 10 to 20 years, we would see fruit that would be born in this church that would be just revolutionary all over the world. I thank you for these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.